Welcome, welcome, welcome to Element City Church. Hey, we are thrilled to have you here if you're in the room or here if you're watching online from your living room tonight. We're thrilled to have you here. If you're here, you might get something free, which is pretty nice. Um, so, hey, glad to have you here. If you happen to be new, we'd love to invite you to download our free app. Uh, you can just go to your app store, type in Element City Church. You can download that. If you happen to be new, we'd love to connect with you. We do that virtually uh, in a couple different ways. You can either text the word hello to our text number 520-340-6868. If you just text that word hello, there's a couple other quick texts and we're connected. And then the other way, we'd love to invite you to our 10-minute party at the end of the service tonight. Uh, we'd be, we'll be back there. It's just a way for us to hang out for less than 10 minutes, and we got a free gift for you, the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon, just for you for taking a risk and taking a chance being with us. So uh, grateful to have you here. So uh, reminder that we are going to the Roadrunners hockey game. This is where the free stuff comes in. Okay, who would like a free Roadrunners hat? Uh, they gave us free hats. So I've been, I've been trying to practice my like discus throw. You're, you're working on, are you lefty? You're left. I'm going to go lefty. I'm going to try to, to, so a free hat. Anyone want a free hat? I see a hand way back there. So I don't know how that's going to go, but Who's excited I almost decapitated Taylor. People. But okay, so anyone in the middle? Okay, there we go. Free hats, free hats. There we go. So if you didn't catch one, listen, you're all did. winners. You're all winners. Just terrible. remember that, okay? So just, uh, but we are going to the hockey game uh, this Friday night. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, uh, just log into the app. Go to the event uh, for the hockey, Roadrunner hockey game. There's a special link in there that will get you tickets and not all only in the tickets, same section. Jack, people can go on the ice after the game. I know. To get a picture taken. You guys get to go on the ice afterwards. You're going to have so to sign a waiver. It's a ticket. We all get to go down as a yeah. church. So we'll have a little sign. It'll be real quick. But I'll be there. But yeah, we get to go on the ice. It'll be, so it'll be pretty cool. Bring your sweater. So bring, bring your sweater, and uh, we'll have a good time with that. So uh, you're invited to that. We have our uh, food distribution this coming weekend, so if you want to help out with that, pack in on Friday morning. If you have Friday morning off, you can join us at Carrie Ministries, packing the food. Saturday morning, 8.30, right here in the parking lot, uh, or 8 o'clock, we'll be giving that out uh, and praying with folks. And so that's our small way of being able to help people in our city, uh, and so giving back a little bit. So uh, tonight, if you are here in the room, I'm going to ask that you stand up. We're going to pray, uh, and we always pray for the Church of the Week, uh, and so tonight is Siloam Christian uh, Church, and Pastor Otis, Pastor Otis is an awesome guy, uh, and uh, we just really believe in his community. Uh, we know it. there's a million plus people in southern Arizona that aren't connected in any faith community, and so it's not about our church, it's about the church, and uh, we're one expression of that, so we want to pray for God's blessing over Siloam Christian and over our time tonight. Thanks for investing some time. We're going to wrap up. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, or the book of 1 Thessalonians tonight. We'll start 2 Thessalonians next week, but grateful to have you here. So just take a deep breath. You're here. Maybe there's a whole lot going on in your week. Maybe you have a whole lot coming uh, before you in the next week. But for these next few moments, you're here. So just kind of be here, and let's give this time to God and what he wants to do in your life and in our hearts and together as family. So, Father, we are grateful uh, for Siloam Christian, for Pastor Otis Brown. Uh, God, we ask your blessing over him, their team, their staff, their church, God. Uh, you've placed them close to the university. I know their heart is to have a, a deeper impact to the 35,000-plus students that call uh, UVA home. 
And so I pray that you would continue to expand their reach in that. Would you continue to help them to, uh, uh, to make an inroads and to make a difference in your kingdom's sake? We pray your blessing over our time together tonight, whether we're here in the room or watching from home tonight. God, um, we just want to hit pause. And in worship, we want to just lean into your presence. A lot of us have a lot of different things going on. Maybe our attention is being pulled in so many different directions, but we want to give you our heart attention tonight. As we worship you, would you inhabit the praises of your people? Would you whisper to us in fresh and new ways? May we encounter you, Holy Spirit, and sense your presence here tonight. Thank you for your activity. We pray your blessing over our e-kids ministry, over our student ministry, God, over uh, each one of us as the family of God. Would you move in our midst and would you leverage us as part of the movable force of you and for your good in the world around us as we leave from here tonight afterwards. So Father, may we encounter you, we worship you, we set our heart's attention and affection in your direction tonight, we pray.
Thank you. 
outside of these walls so God may we never forget the love and grace and the greatest act in history that was done for us the blood that was shed for us the king who was innocent and the humble servant who came to die for every heart here Lord we worship you and we thank that we can stand before your throne. So we humble ourselves, God, and we trust in Jesus, who is our Lord and who is our Savior. And for those, God, who don't know you yet, I pray, God, that you would find them and they would open your hearts and they would experience this kind of joy that we have in this community. So Holy Spirit, we pray that tonight you would be working in the hearts of every man and every woman here in this room. May we be greatly encouraged, God, equipped to be the church outside of these walls. So God, we bow down before you and we worship you, the King of glory. May you be glorified in our hearts, the mighty and beautiful. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. so good to, <clears throat> to worship King Jesus and, and to kind of set our hearts on him. And, and uh, again, grateful uh, for each one of you here tuning in, uh, whether it's your first Sunday or your 101st Sunday. Uh, I do want to just maybe mention something tonight. Uh, I have a friend, uh, Rich Velotis, who's in New York and mentioned something at the start of his service. And I just thought it was so well said, especially in a divisive cultural backdrop in which we live, um, we're pretty apolitical here in the sense that we're not big on making that a thing because we believe King Jesus is really the real hope of the world. And so all of our focus and attention and direction is on him. Uh, but you know, we recognize that Tuesday is a day to vote. And so I just encourage you to vote. And, and here's what I would just encourage all of us, that no matter how you vote, you are welcome in this church. I want to be real clear about that. We are not uh, taking stands. No, it just We stand with Jesus. And so my encouragement to you is that um, I would ask that you would commit to see your politics through the lens of Jesus and not Jesus through the lens of politics. And I think that's where a lot of people go sideways. And um, so that you would stay curious about why maybe some brothers and sisters see things differently and that you'd be okay navigating the space between with grace and love for one another, and that we would all choose to live humbly and prayerfully. Um, so that's all I want to say about that. Um, 
that's my encouragement to you. So, um, now, we are picking up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the last several verses of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And last week, Lyle kind of kicked us off, and we were kind of looking at the first part of chapter 5, and he talked about Kevin McAllister. Remember Kevin McAllister from Home Alone? Um, and remember, like, we looked at his family, and we made the comment that he was a little bit of a dysfunctional family. I think we can all say that. That's true. Uh, how many of you are a part of a family? Okay, um, how many of you would say your family has a little, maybe a little bit of dysfunction in it? Yeah, your family's normal, um, because that's the reality. You actually look through the pages of Scripture, and you're going to see <laughs> families that have dysfunction in it, and, and that's part of the dynamic. And, and what I want us to see, I want you to think back, take 15 seconds, and think back to all the families that you can recall from either TVs, uh, TV shows or movies that you've seen throughout your history. Some of you maybe have a longer history in that than others, but like think about the family dynamics or the family expressions or experiences in that. Uh, and, and what we come to realize is that there's no perfect family. Uh, what we want is a healthy family. And what we want in, in a church is to be a healthy family, because actually that's what I want to talk about tonight, because the whole last part of chapter 5 is Paul kind of laying out this biggest description of church, um, of what we see. Some people would say, okay, church is this movement. Some people would describe it as other different things. But what we see in Scripture is this idea of family. In fact, family defined is this, a group of one or more parents and their children living together in a unit. Another description is a group of people related to one another by blood or marriage, or all descendants of one common ancestor. If you look up family in the dictionary, that's kind of the, the reality of it. And now, First Thessalonians, just a reminder, uh, as we've been unpacking this, sometimes we'll do topical series, sometimes we'll go through books of the Bible, and we're happen to do First and Second Thessalonians this fall. So we're wrapping up First Thessalonians, we'll pick up with Second Thessalonians next week. Um, and looking at this concept of what you see in the Apostle Paul kind of digging down for us to understand. Remember, he was there for about three months helping this new church plant kind of get off the ground, and then he's called away. Like, he's kind of forced out of the city, and then he sends Timothy back to, to find out about them, invest in them a little bit. Timothy returns, give Paul's a report, and then Paul is writing now this letter back to this church, probably answering some questions and helping them navigate some of the things that maybe they brought up, because he was only there for three months. We know he was in Ephesus, the church of Ephesians. Uh, if you read that book, he was there for three years. That was the longest he ever spent at one particular church setting. Uh, he here, he launches this when he's there for about three months, and what we see is he's writing back, kind of addressing some of those things, filling in the blanks a little bit uh, of here's how, as a person who's following after Jesus, here's how you're to live, and here's what you're to go after. So, in 1 Thessalonians 5, I want to read kind of to the end, uh, and so it's just a big chunk. Now, if you have the app, you can download, uh, open up the app and go to sermon notes, and you can follow along with everything I'm going to share tonight, uh, or you can just kind of listen to this. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, kind of verse 12, almost to the end. We will save kind of the end chapters to the end of this message. But here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, verse 12, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Uh, they work hard among you, give uh, you spiritual guidance, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work, and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Verse 16, always be joyful, never stop praying, 
Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So Paul has a few other things to say that's kind of more like a benediction. In fact, we'll close in prayer tonight with what he says to this church. But in here, he kind of gives a bunch of different things. And I want to kind of rattle through some of that, unpack a little bit of it, what it means, and then kind of get into some practices. Because here's what I know. Uh, Your family, my family, all of our families have dynamics to them. What's interesting, when you think about the church, not just a local expression of church, which we are, Element City Church, but the church uh, described throughout history, there's been a lot of people who try to come up with maybe a a metaphor or kind of a description of what the church is, but a lot of them fall incomplete. I've heard people say that the church can be viewed as a gas station, a place to fill up your spiritual tank, a spiritual pit stop to recharge spiritually. I've heard people describe it as a drugstore, a place to ease psychological pain, or a big box retailer, a one-stop producer of programs for children through adults. But the truth is, all those kind of fall short of trying to describe what a church is. It's kind of inadequate. The scriptures have some metaphors and some pictures to describe church. One of those is the church is as a nation, that we are a new humanity with a new identity, a holy priesthood. One passage says that we come together and we offer worship to God. That's what we just spent the last few minutes doing. And worship isn't just singing. Worship is, is kind of putting our affections toward God, letting him know how great he is. Uh, maybe so elsewhere in the scripture it talks about the church being like a body, that it's composed of different parts, but we're all focused on carrying out the, the, the mission of how we are to live. We each have a different role in it. Or that we're a bride where the bride, the church is often called the bride of Christ, waiting for his return, and that he's done everything for his bride to prepare for that moment. But maybe one of the most common analogies, metaphors that you find, is family, where spiritual newborns are welcomed, where we grow and mature and accept different roles, where we love one another and respond to needs of one another, where we are challenged... um, to challenge, kind of take off the rough edges of one another, and we also challenge one another to keep falling hard after our Savior, who is the head of the church. And so Paul kind of is writing back to this church that he didn't have a ton of time with, and he's saying, listen, I want you to live like family. Now, for some of you, you had a a pretty healthy family background, dynamic uh, experience, and so that kind of throws up some some warm fuzzies. For others of you, maybe it just makes you throw up because you didn't have a great experience or, or, or backdrop of that for you. But I want you to think in a healthy sense, a, a healthy family, it is the family of God is what we're unfolding into as a follower of Jesus. Now, you may be here and you're spiritually searching and you're kind of investigating Jesus, and I think it's awesome that you're here. I think it's awesome that you're owning your spiritual journey and that you're kind of curious about that. Maybe you're not ready to commit to that yet. That's okay. Uh, But maybe you're on that journey trying to figure out, for a lot of us, maybe we've said yes to Jesus. Then what I want you to understand is that you and I have been enfolded into something so much bigger than just you. And in a culture that is so individualized in almost everything we do, we somehow can miss the beauty 
of what we've been enfolded into as a follower of Jesus, that into the family of God, which is a beautiful thing at times, and let's be honest, sometimes it's tough. How many of you would say it's tough being a part of your family at times? Uh, maybe they've rubbed your, you know, ruffled your feathers a little bit. They've rubbed you the wrong way. Sometimes we do things in our own family that we go, oh, that was dumb, I don't know why I did that. Uh, but we just kind of do it, right? And sometimes we're actually more real with the people we're closest to than the people that we try to put an edge uh, or kind of a veneer up around. And so sometimes even in the family of God, we can do some damage. And that's why we talk about as a church here, we want to be a healthy church. Listen, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't come here. You'll mess us up. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we're not perfect. We are far from it. We will mess up. We will get things wrong. But here's what we commit to. We're going to try to make it right. And we're going to try to do our best to be as healthy as we possibly can be. As much as we can own, we will commit to that. And we're asking each of us who call elements home to commit to that. Paul five times in the last part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, 14, 25, 26, 27, uses this familial language. He's wanting to drive home a point that not only are you enfolded into something bigger than just you, you're actually to be a part of something. He kind of lays out some scenarios. He says, listen, there's some leaders to this, and you're to respect them. You're to love them. You're to, to, to kind of commit to them uh, because they've been given charge over you. And, and for a lot of ways, uh, leadership, and I, I recognize, in fact, I'll be the first to, to kind of point out in the church, quote, unquote, there are leaders who have abused their leadership to the detriment of a lot of people. And that is not okay, and that is not right. It's not healthy. And so, as a leader here, my commitment, our commitment to you is to the best we know how. We want to lead in a healthy way. We recognize that we'll have blind spots, and that we want to own that and lean into that to continue to grow in health. Because my commitment, our commitment to you, is that we want to lead you to be people who are following after Jesus the best we know how that you would leave here, if God ever called you somewhere else, that you would say, man, my time and elements grew me in my faith. I'm a better follower of Jesus now than I was when I first got here. Like, that's what we want. Why? Because the kingdom wins when that happens. That's what part of the call of the church. And so Paul kind of lays out these uh, challenges to the local body. He says, listen, respect your leaders in that. The writer of Hebrews says this verse, um, 17 of chapter 13, he says, Look, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority uh, because they keep watch over you as those who have to give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be no benefit to you. It would be no benefit. Esteem them, love them. The word agape, again, there. And then he has a challenge for leaders to say, leaders, this is how you're to lead in your congregation, in your context. You're to work hard. The Paul, uh, the verb he uses there is kind of like this manual labor, but like as you prepare messages, as you preach, as you counsel, as you guide, as you encourage, that you would work hard and do your best in that. You pursue excellence in that. You provide oversight and care for others in the Lord, not just for your own benefit that you're looking out for their best. You, you would use that verb, you'd admonish them, which is kind of like his coaching or counseling. It, it also means this idea of warning or reproofing or disciplining, and, and that you would do that because you're trying to discipline for people's best, 
not abusive, but corrective in a way that would help to their benefit. And then he kind of goes on in verse 14 and 15. He says, listen, uh, here's responsibilities for everyone who's a part of the family of God. It is uh, one of my favorite phrases, an all-skate. It is an all-skate for everybody. Everyone's included. If you've ever grown up going to uh, skate country and they played a song and said it's an all-skate, everyone's in. And this is what he's kind of saying. Listen, we're to care for the family members of the family of God that we're enfolded into. Verse 14, 15. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always do, always do good uh, to each other and to all people. He kind of gives six commands. Warn the idle, warn the lazy, he says, because some folks there at that particular time, remember Paul didn't have a ton of time with them, they were concerned about the return of Christ, and they were living in such a way that they were saying, Jesus is coming back, so I'm not going to work. And so I'm just going to trust that the family that I'm a part of now will now take care of me. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not how this works. Like, you're to work, don't be idle, don't be a burden to the people, to the family of God, like, do your part. And so he's writing specifically back to that instance at that particular church at that particular time. Uh, not that we have freeloaders anywhere in the church, but at that particular time they did. And so Paul's writing back saying, no, no, that's not how this works. You're a part of the family, which means you participate in it. Take care of the things. Uh, you are to, you should not be done and do anything out of inauthenticity, but connect that ideally, if we were to challenge one another, that we would do that because of an authentic relationship connection, uh, that we don't just challenge people because, hey, I see you doing something wrong and I just challenge you, but that through a relationship, we're actually challenging one another and we're warning one another, we're coming alongside one another and we're saying, because of our relationship, I want to speak life into your life and I want to be available for you to speak life into me and to call me on things. You're to encourage the timid or the disheartened you're to come alongside. Remember, this is in the Greco-Roman world. There's a lot of persecution going on. Uh, we talked about this at the very beginning of this book. Listen, we might face opposition to our faith, but we do not face persecution that the early church did in the Greco-Roman world. Back in the first century, there was a lot of persecution, literally, going on that these people who were saying yes to Jesus were facing challenges. The writer of Hebrews says this, remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured in great conflict that was full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and other times you stood side by side with those who were treated so. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourself had better lasting possessions in Christ. And so there was real persecution happening. And, and Paul's writing, listen, you need to come alongside and encourage. What might that look like today in our cultural context? We don't face persecution. Anyone ever felt defeated before? Anyone ever felt discouraged before? Yes, especially in a divided world, especially in a fragmented culture in which we live. It's easy to get discouraged. And so as brothers and sisters, we're to always be on the lookout to encourage one another, to uplift those around us. Help the weak refers to someone who is struggling in their faith or struggling with a moral issue. That the term highlighted here helps convey the idea of someone actually coming alongside and standing with them. 
you are not alone in this struggle. I'm with you. Uh, What if we as the church actually just got better at this? Of just walking alongside people who might be struggling in life, struggling with a moral issue that they're struggling with, they're trying to get break free from, but we actually stand with them and say, listen, I'm standing with you. You're not alone in the battle that you're facing. That to meet one another's aloneness needs is a big deal. Be patient with everyone. Man, anyone ever find patience to be a challenge? Just me? Okay. A couple of you. <clears throat> be patient with everyone. There's an old quote, I forget who it's from, but... Uh, Be kind to everyone, because everyone's fighting a battle that you don't know. It's this challenge to say, listen, let's, let's give patience to one another. Our family will function better when it runs on the grease of patience with one another, of giving the benefit of the doubt of coming alongside and saying, I'm with you. Uh, sure, maybe you didn't get that right, but I'm patient with you, and we're going to keep moving forward in that. Don't pay back wrong for wrong. We live in a culture that says you wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. And, and Paul's saying, listen, in the church, we don't do that. When you wrong me, okay, I may point it out, and, and I, I may try to come and, and, and rectify this, and I may point it out to you, uh, but... I'm asking that we would work through issues, that we would work through struggles, we would work through setbacks, and we would not just turn a blind eye to it or not just take avenge someone for doing something to us, that we would strive to do what's good, especially to the family of God, those that we're connected to through the blood of Christ and through his, uh, his salvation, that we would say, hey, we're going to do good to one another. We'd also do good to the world and the watching world around you, but family takes care of family. Ever heard that? Family takes care of family. Come on, that's fast and furious. Come on, guys. Uh, like, your family. Um, like, that's the best accent I have of, of Dom. But anyway, like, family takes care of family, right? And, and that we would be with one another. I know for Amy and I, we have, we have benefited greatly from the family of God. And the people who God has rallied around us at times to encourage us, to help us, um, to, to help us when our kids were young, to help us when we had financial setbacks, to, to help us when we needed encouragement. Like just God has brought the family of God around us and we are the benefactors of that. And, and we hope that we have also been ones who pass that benefit on to others. That's how the church, the family of God is meant to work that we would be genuinely concerned for one another and that we would love one another. So the family dynamics is to play this way and to live this way out. Now, there's also family dynamics that we have, and then there's also some family, shall we say, like traditions or rhythms or practices that I bet your family has. In fact, I bet as you think about Christmas coming up, uh, my, my hunch is you have some traditions that your family does. Uh, and you're already thinking about that. You might have some rhythms or some practices that your family engages in. How many of you can think of one or two that your family, either growing up or your family now has, some rhythms, some practices, some traditions that you have? And then Paul's writing in here. He's saying, listen, here's how family dynamics work. Your brothers and sisters, here's how it's supposed to play out. 
And now, here's some rhythms and some practices. In fact, here's three he mentions in verse 16, 17, and 18. And here's my challenge to you. I want to encourage you to memorize these verses. They're not hard. Uh, in fact, I think my hunch is you could do it. So if you want to read it with me, I think it's on the screen. Here it is, verse 16. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Like, here's some of the traditions. Here's some of the practices. Here's the rhythms you're to have. I have people ask me all the time, what, how do I know the will of God? It says it right there. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's like six or seven places in the scripture where it says, this is God's will for you. God may not have one particular person that you're to marry, one particular job that you're to, to take out, uh, to go after, one particular house that you're to buy or rent. Uh, like, he may give guidance on those things. But the truth is, there's like five or six places in Scripture where it says, this is God's will for you. You want to know what it is? It's always be joyful. Pray continually. Be thankful in all circumstances. Doesn't mean be thankful for all circumstances. There's a big difference. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is? Paul says it right here. That as a family, uh, that you are to have these rhythms to your life and to your living. That you're to rejoice always. Paul is not referring to a state of constant euphoria. The second fruit of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, what? Joy. Joy is the second one. He produces within us a sense of inner peace and satisfaction and fulfillment and significance that fosters a deep sense of joy in our lives, no matter our circumstances, that a sense of joy would be a part of your life. I know for some of you, you are very melancholy kind of people. You would describe yourself that way. You would say, maybe for some of you, you'd be like, well, I'm an introvert. Okay, um, well, 70% of people are introverts. What Paul's writing here, what you see for the idea of joy in the Scripture, is it's deeper than happiness, but happiness is involved. But it's deeper than that because it's not circumstantial. It's not, okay, I'm happy because I won the lottery. If you did, that's awesome, and I'd love to talk with you. But, um, like, if, uh, like, it's not just circumstantial happiness, but it's this idea that I have a deep sense of, of God's commitment to me, that the Savior, Jesus, rescued me, and that forever changes everything in my life. I am never alone any battle I face, ever. I have him with me. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That he is always with me no matter what comes my way. So even in the, the deepest valleys, even in the greatest challenges, I'm not alone in that. And so I can actually begin to experience joy. doesn't mean I'm happy about everything that's going on. But it means I have a joyous uh, continence to me, like an anchor to my soul that's walking with me those things. That you, you would find joy. It's interesting to me. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, like he gives an outline of everything that he suffered. 
You want to be depressed, read that sometime. This is what Paul endured as he tried to plant churches and, and, and let people know about Jesus. In fact, it's, it kind of highlights a few different things. That he and his team were abused and were beaten. There were sleepless nights. They were shipwrecked a couple of times. There were desperate needs that they faced. And then right in the middle of this list, here's what he says. We were sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You'll read in the book of Philippians, he's in prison, in chains, in a dungeon, and he's singing. And Paul and Silas are singing. And an angel shows up and loosens all the chains, opens all the doors, and the jailer's like, ah, great, I let the prisoners go, I have to die. And they're like, no, no, we didn't go, we're here. He's like, what must I do to be saved? Because that ain't right. That ain't normal. And Paul's saying, he's got this joy to his life, even though he has great hardships. James, in the book of James, the brother of Jesus is writing, listen, you consider it pure joy when you face trials of all kinds. What? Like, in our cultural context, that does not compute. I, I consider it joyful and happiness when I face no troubles. But James is saying, no, no, even when you face troubles. Why? Because you know these troubles are going to produce something in you. God's going to actually use this. This is Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good. God's actually using maybe this particular circumstance or, or tension or stress to actually form more of Jesus in you if you'll kind of open yourself to that. Leon Morris is a New Testament scholar. He says, few things about the New Testament are more remarkable than this continual stress on joy. The early church in the first and second century facing massive persecution, people were joyous in the midst of it. That was one of the things that the historian writers write about, that there was something about these Christians, these followers of the way, that was just different than the world around them. My encouragement to you, friend, is if you struggle with joy, then spend some time reminiscing about where you were before God found you and rescued you and how God has rescued you, the promises of God that ride with you as a follower of Jesus and let that resonate within your heart and then tell your face. Because I wish Christians were known as more joyous, happy people Versus ones that are beat up and depressed all the time. Listen, depression's real for a lot of people. I'm not discounting that. But what I am saying is that joy is to be a marker of our lives. And that we would continue as the family of God to, to lean into that. To encourage one another to do that. To pray continually. Now, 24-hour prayer is probably not possible for you. I know it's not possible for me. I've tried. I have failed over and over at it. In fact, this whole idea of always keep praying has bugged me all my life. Like, God, I don't know how that is physically possible to do that until you understand that prayer is not just you saying words. Prayer is about a dependency of your heart, recognizing the awareness of God always around you. Sometimes it is voicing words, and sometimes it's being really quiet. And just recognizing, God, you're with me. You're with me. You're for me. It's not me producing something. 
prayer is this conversation with God. But listen, I have conversations with my wife when we drive down the road, and it's not always me talking. In fact, some of our best conversations we have is just being in one another's presence and recognizing we're in this. We're with one another. Now, if it goes too quiet for too long, I'm an extrovert, it gets a little weird, um, and so I'll say something dumb. Um, but, like, it's just because the quiet got too long. But there is something beautiful about the quiet, and I just want to encourage you that prayer is talking with God, but it's also just listening and being with God. Like, let prayer be more than just a laundry list of things I need. It's way more than that. Prayer should be a priority. We should be persistent in it. We try to do it corporately when we gather. But we want prayer to be this conversation, relational thing, which doesn't mean it's always words. It's just I'm with and he's with me. Be thankful in all circumstances. Persist in joy. Pray continually. Be thankful in all circumstances. Again, this is not being thankful for all circumstances. Some things happen in life, and it just stinks. And let's call it that. This stinks. Sometimes that happens. And that's why we need the brothers and sisters around us to encourage us to keep going. That's why we lean into prayer. That's why we continue to get our joy, not from our circumstances, but from our God who's provided it for us. And we live with an attitude of gratitude. Thankfulness flows and it's a mark of my heart and it's a consistent overflow of how I live. I'm grateful for all God has done. I'm grateful for all God is doing. And I'm grateful for all he is yet to do and will do. I get to live in the gratitude of that. See, when the family of God begins to live into these rhythms, into these practices, when the family of God begins to live into these dynamics of how we operate with one another, then I don't know another human community quite like the church. I don't know one. I know a lot of communities, a collective of people, but I don't know one quite like the church when it's healthy. Now, not perfect because there ain't no church that is. Why? Because I'm in it, and you are too. And we're not perfect, and we make mistakes. But healthy is different than perfect, isn't it? And what we want is to be a healthy expression of that. So Paul is saying, listen, this is how a healthy church, the dynamics of how things work and you relate and how leaders relate to the congregation and how the congregation relates one to another. And then would you just please drive these practices home because this is the will of God for you. Then you would be joyful always. You would pray continually. You'd give thanks in all circumstances. Gratitude would be the overflow of your heart. And then he's really what he's saying is, listen, make God's family a priority. There are no such things as Lone Ranger Christians. We like to think in our cultural backdrop that's very individualized. Oh, I just need God. That's all I need. And Jesus would argue with you. The New Testament writers would argue with you. The disciples who gave their lives following after Jesus and, and calling this forward would argue with you. 
You don't need just God. Yes, you need Jesus. There's no hope without him. But he has placed you into a family. And you're to make his family a priority. I know some people have quit the church coming out of a pandemic. I know some people have pulled back from the church. And listen, I'm not here to tell you what that looks like for you. What I am going to tell you is if if you walk away from the church, then you're walking away from the bride of Jesus who he gave up everything for her, imperfections and all. He was willing to go to the cross to die for her. And he holds her in high esteem even to this day. So the church probably has blemishes because no church is perfect. The church probably gets things wrong at times because no church is perfect. Every family has a little bit of dysfunction in it, right? Here's the beauty of having been in the church now for a long time, raised in the church. There are people who have been through the history of the church with me who I love, and I'm deeply affected and impacted by. I am a better person because of mentors and because of people who invested in me all throughout those years. Listen, I am also a better person and a better follower of Jesus because of the people that I didn't agree with and I didn't even like at times. And I had to learn how to love in the midst of it. Why? Because they were knocking some of the hard edges off of me Because left to myself, I go really selfish really fast. And the role of the family of God is to say, no, no, no. This isn't about, (laughs) see, it's not about you. That's the countercultural message of the church. In our world, in America, it's all about you. But that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is not about you. That's why I saved you. You can't earn it, and you can't work your way to it. And now I've unfolded you into this family, and into this family I want you to serve, and I want you to invest. In fact, I'm going to put some family members next to you who might be like the crazy uncle, and they're going to bug you. But you know what? They're going to actually make you better, and so don't run away from the family. I've given everything to the family, and I've unfolded you into something that's so much bigger than yourself. And when we live in the healthiest way we can, we demonstrate something to a fractured, broken, lonely world that they're desperate for. Now, the church has certainly shown bad expressions, unhealthy expressions, haven't we? We can look through history. We can look across our city. We can look inward. And there's definitely things we've gotten wrong at times. And we need to learn from that and be refined by that. And then maybe the second thing is, you know, make God's family a priority and then accept family responsibilities. Each one of you is meant to be a participant, not a spectator in the church. It bugs me when people say, I go to church. I go to vote. I go to the gym. I go to Costco. I go to those places and I get something from it for me. Listen, we want to be a church that pours into you. We want you to get stuff. But that's not the only thing about being a part of a church. It's also a part where you get to participate. 
You get to participate in giving. You get to participate in just living life and serving and going beyond yourself and using your talents and your time and your abilities to invest in the church to be its healthiest, best expression. And the church needs you as much as you need the church. And so the important thing what Paul's writing is, listen, you're unfolded into something so much bigger, and I don't have time to unpack all of the mystery and the beauty of that. But I want to give you a taste that when you commit to that, when you do your part to participate, when you do your part to invest in others, and that you get invested into, your life gets better. It just does. I've heard that refrain from people around here for years. That when they stopped just attending, I go and they started participating, that their life got better. Why? Because God was at work in their midst. And God was using them and pouring into them. And it's a both and, not an either or. And this investment is we all have responsibilities in that. God's family matters to Jesus. My question is, does it matter to you? This isn't something trying to call out anything. I'm just literally putting it in front of you. It's up to you to deal with that, however God might stir your heart in that. Our bond is not our uniform preferences, but the precious blood of our amazing Savior. That's our bond. It's not that we all have the same preferences. It's not that we're all going to vote the same. It's not that we're all going to think the same. It's not that we're all going to react the same. It's not that we're all going to be the same. It's not uniformity. It's unity. And that's different. And that's a challenge, and that's a call, especially in our culture and in our moment of history. That that's what we're called into. Despite our diversity, we would aim toward unity. We'd put his love on display in a fractured and divisive world, that a diverse people are brought together from every tribe and tongue, from different classes and ethnicities, from different age demographics and different countries, different backgrounds, different family dynamics, and we would be pulled into this melting pot that is the family of God. And as the family of God, we are called forward to live in a certain family rhythms and dynamics in that, and that's what Paul's unpacking here. Friends, this is what we're called to live into as the family of God. The practices that are, mark our life, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. And then he ends this amazing uh, chapter, this amazing book with a prayer. And I just want to pray this over us. And then tonight we've got uh, a couple worship songs here at the end. In between that, we've got um, Deanna who's going to get baptized uh, and brought into kind of just recognizing that she's enfolded into the family of God global, also this family, this expression that is elements, and that we get to celebrate her as she has said yes to Jesus. And that baptism is that way of saying, hey, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. Jesus has saved her. If you've been baptized, Jesus has saved you. And it's just you kind of letting people know. I'm all in on Jesus because he's all in on me. And now I get to understand that I'm enfolded into something so much bigger than just me and my life. And so we'll celebrate that tonight. Here's how Paul ends this as a prayer. Our worship team will come up and lead us. He says this in the last couple of verses here. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. And God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful to do it. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, friends. I just want to end with that. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, be with me, be with us as the family of God. And may he continue to chip away at what he needs to chip away at. May he continue to refine what he needs to refine. May he continue to challenge and call us forward into living out these dynamics and living into these rhythms and practices. May we be the best, healthiest expression of the family of God that we can be. And may we be better next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. And may God use us. May his grace function and flow in us and through us to the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I choose this day to be grateful, Lord. I give you praise with an open heart. I'm waking up to heaven. I'm waking up to you. Waking up to
started this journey. I know you started coming here in May of last year, and I know you've been on that spiritual journey, and God has kind of gotten a hold of your heart. So, Deanna, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Yeah. And do you commit your life to following after him? The best you know how is he's committed to you. Yes. Awesome. Then it's my joy to baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every time there's a baptism, I think God watches every single baptism around the world because it's people being included into his family. So friends, you're a part of a beautiful family, and I'm grateful that you're a part of this family. So a couple closing things. We're going to end with a song. Uh, again, if you're new here, we'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party afterwards. Uh, we've got a free gift for you. The hockey game's coming up. We have our food distribution this next uh, Friday morning packing, Saturday distributing that. If you want to plug into that, all the information is in the app. Um, I just want to let you know about that. Again, if you want to go to the hockey game, go through the link in the app because it'll get you all in the same section. If you have an Operation Christmas Child kind of shoebox that you're packing, it's due back next week. Uh, and then dinner tonight, we kind of have a group of people that go out to dinner every single Sunday tonight. It's at Toro Loco, Speedway, east of Craycroft. That's where we're heading. But we're going to end in worship as the family of God, kind of giving praise back to the leader of our family, Jesus. And so as we sing to him, just dive into that. Uh, I'm not going to dive in here, but I'll meet you at the 10-minute party. Saying I have no reason to praise I will give thanks Oh, I will give thanks When the roar that I hear Is the voice of my fear Trying to silence this hope in my heart I will give thanks Oh, I will give thanks a song of thanksgiving is my battle cry With joy as my weapon I stand and defy The light of the dark with my hands lifted to the sky And I will 